Well, as we continue in worship this morning, let us turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. Today, scripture comes from Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to see for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 manas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your manah has made 10 manas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your manah has made five manas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your manah, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a, serv a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you, condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the manah from him and give it to the one who has 10 manahs. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 manahs. I tell you that to everyone who has, who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these moments where we get to gather together and to declare that you reign above it all, that you are Lord, you are King. And Father, we come into these moments to give you all glory and all honor. And Lord, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would speak. We are listening, Lord. Come and move, come and have your way amongst us. We praise you, we give you all the glory. We give you all the things. Lord, we declare that you reign above it all. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said together, amen. You all can be seen. Well, good morning. And y'all are singing dangerous music today. You reign above it all? Ooh. If all really means all, then that's a dangerous song. And the implications are great. Jesus is in Zacchaeus' house. He's just made the pronouncement that salvation has come. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus and his house, and there's a crowd there, and they're listening I think they're hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. And I think they're hanging on every word because Jesus has just made this pronouncement of salvation to Zacchaeus of all people. But Zacchaeus, as we learned Wednesday night, is a recipient of the extreme and beautiful grace of God. And so the crowd is sitting there, and the text opens that we just read. If you want to follow along, it's Luke 19. The text that we just read opens and says, as they heard these things, those people sitting there marveling at the fact that Zacchaeus has just received this 
gift of grace. Jesus goes on to tell him a parable. And he does this, the text tells us, for a couple of reasons. He does this because he's near to Jerusalem, not just physically, but he's also near to the events that are about to take place. And he's trying to explain. He's getting at an explanation so that people can understand what's going to take place. And the verse tells us he gives them this parable because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They think this is all the work maybe that's going to be done. And they're even confused about the work that is going to take place in Jerusalem. But Jesus wants to let them know that there is more to come and there's something to do in the meantime. And so he tells them this parable. It's about a nobleman who went off to receive a kingdom and then return, verse 12 tells us. He calls 10 of his servants together. He takes 10 coins or 10 pounds of silver and he distributes it between them. And then he tells them, I want you to engage in business until I come, verse 13 says. There is a, a business that they are to be about. There's something that they are to be doing. As he leaves, going to receive the kingdom, verse 14 says, there were some citizens that actually hated this nobleman. And so they put together a committee, a delegation. A group of them got together and they began to talk and they said, we do not want this man to reign over us. But the man returns in verse 15, and when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered that the servants come to him and then bring the money, bring what they had been given and what they had invested, and he was going to inspect the investment. So the first servant comes up. He says, Lord, here's what you've given me. You gave me one, but it produced ten. The response is, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, you shall rule or have authority over ten cities. Then the second servant comes up. Lord, you, what you gave me, the one, has produced five. Again, great job. And you will be over five cities. And you may be wondering, what are, what are all these cities about? What does that mean? Well, the cities simply represent Jesus' earthly rule at his return. And we are going to reign with him as co-heirs with Christ. And so he's giving us that illustration. He's giving us that image. This is what it's going to look like. So we rule and reign after Jesus' return in that kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. And then you say, what's the difference between the ten and the five, maybe? Good question. Just notice what Jesus is giving here. He's giving equal praise appropriate for what had been produced. Notice that. If God uses you to win 10 people to Christ, if God uses you to start 10 ministries, or simply to do 10 acts of kindness. He praises that. He sees that. He knows the number, if you will. If it's five, if God uses you to uh, win five people to Christ, or start 10 or five ministries, or you know, do t uh, five uh, wonderful acts of kindness in his name, well, then he praises that as well. Absolutely. He's praising the totality of their work. Notice that. But then another servant comes. And he says, Lord, here's what you gave me. Here's the coin you gave me. Your mana. He says, you know, I took it. But I laid it away in a handkerchief. I hid it away. I know you gave it to me. 
but I put it in a handkerchief. Do you know what you do with handkerchiefs? Tells you what he thought about the manah he had been given. He says, here's why I did that, Lord. I was afraid. And not just afraid in general, I was afraid of you. Because, let me tell you why I was afraid, Lord. Because you are a severe man. Right there, he tells us in parable form, this man is afraid of Jesus. And he's saying, because you, I see you as severe. And what that leads me to think about you is that you are one who you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. I know this about you. Let me ask a question. Is that true? Is that a correct assumption? Notice it starts with your coin. It's yours. How many times do we say, you know, if God wants to, he'll do it. I know he can do anything, so if he wants to, he will do it. If God wants to, he will. And we forget that God's will is to use us. Yes? And notice that the man was afraid. Fear was produced in him because of this limited understanding of the nobleman or the king or of Jesus. Fear was produced in him because of this limited understanding. It was reduced down to a particular aspect of the capability of the king. See, he only recognized, he only looked at, he only focused in on the idea that the king could be serious and had the ability and sometimes the right to be severe. That is his response back. And all that he can see of this nobleman, all he can see of this king is that there are times in which this king can act in severity. The capability is there. See, the parable doesn't tell us that he did that in any way. But the capacity to be severe is there. And this third servant focuses in on this fact, and so he makes an assumption, which is, you're one of those who take what you do not deposit, and you're one of those who you reap what you do not sow. What he's saying is, you, I see you as severe, and I see you as selfish. So I didn't do anything with what you gave me. And again, the question is, is that true? Is that a correct, full assumption about who the nobleman or the king or who Jesus is? Notice that's not what the nobleman does at all in this parable. It's the nobleman who distributes gifts to his servants. He makes deposits. He doesn't just take them. And then whenever the reaping takes place, notice that both the king and his servants reap the rewards. Which tell us that this third servant who stands before the king on this day, the nobleman on this day who has received his kingdom, his assumption about who that king is and how that king interacts and treats people and works in the world is skewed. And how many times do we have a skewed view of who God is? 
How many times do we focus in just on one particular aspect of God and we try to define all of who God is based off that one thing instead of seeing God in his totality? That's what this man did. And he focused in on the fact that, yes, God can be severe if needed. Yes, he can be extremely serious when the situation calls for it, absolutely. But that's not all of who he is. And so Jesus responds to him, verse 22. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. What a phrase. I will condemn you with your own words. Jesus has already taught us in Matthew 12, 37. By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I will condemn you by your words. It'll either justify you or condemn you. It's Jesus who went to the disciples and he said, Who do you say that I am? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's coming out of this servant's mouth from his heart is fear has been produced in me because of my assumption about what you are like, God. And that assumption is negative. That assumption is reductionistic. It only focuses in on your capacity to be severe. And so the parable goes on. If this is your assumption... You knew, you really knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, question mark? That's your assumption? Well, if that was your assumption, why don't you at least put it in the bank and let it gain some interest? Instead, he put it under, under a handkerchief. Again, which really tells you what he thought about the gift in the first place. I'm going to put the gift of God with my snot. Am I wrong? Jesus says, take it from him. Give it to the one who has ten. People will protest at this. No, 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 he already has ten. I don't have ten. Jesus says, listen, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. In the kingdom, more will be given. God's blessings are beyond our comprehension. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says, everything will get its just reward. When he returns, everything will get its just reward. And the just judge, the king himself, will make those determinations. Not you, not me. He will do that. And the faithfulness of the faithful will get their reward. And the faithlessness of the unfaithful will get theirs. And Jesus is the one who will sort that out. A couple of things about this parable. One, notice that God is the gift giver. This is so important and fundamental. God is the one that gives you every single coin, talent, gift, mana, whatever you want to call it, every single blank you have. Everything that is spiritual and everything that is material. We just sang that, didn't we? You reign above it some? All. Dangerous song. I can't believe y'all are singing that out loud. Everything that we have has either been obtained because God has allowed us to obtain it or directly given by God. We cannot lose sight of that. Number two is that we are stewards of all the things that God has given us. 
Every bit of it. We don't own it. We are stewarding it. People say all the time, I'm not sure what I'm called to do. I can guarantee you the first thing you're called to do is to steward well what God has already given you. You have to start there. But then number three, the third observation I'd give is that if you don't use it, you will lose it. If you don't use your gifts, the gifts that God has given you, you will lose them. He will take them away. He will give someone else the opportunity. And you may say, well, Chris, that sounds really harsh. Listen, we have all kinds of gifts that people have given us, material things. They wind up in drawers and shelves and garages. They do this all the time. Or they wind up re-gifted at Christmas. Right? Because the principle is very simple. I don't want to use it, so you'll lose it. You'll lose it in the garage. You'll lose it in the drawer. You'll lose it to your, you know, cousin Harry. Right? It may sound harsh, but when it comes to God, He gives you gifts for a reason. And you have to remember, here's what I want you to know about your gifts. Listen, God knew what He was doing when He gave you all the gifts, spiritual and material. God knew what He was doing when He gave you every good thing you have in your life. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's why 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the gift of God in your life. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. That word neglect means to be careless with. Don't be careless with the things that God has brought into your life. So many times we neglect them. We say things like, No way, God. There's no way. Or we say things like, not me, God, surely not me. Or we say things like, I want theirs, God. I want what they have, not what you've given me. Sometimes we say, I can't, God. All of these phrases serve as a way for us to neglect the gifts that God has placed in our life. Remember, God knew what he was doing. When he gave you all the gifts, spiritual and material, in your life. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, James tells us. He knew what he was doing in that moment. And it's our job then to steward those things well. Number two is that God knew what he was doing. Not only when he gave you the gifts that you have. God knew what he was doing when he gave you the opportunity to use those gifts. Ephesians 5.16 tells us to make the most of every opportunity, to seize those moments, to be God's man, to be God's woman, to be God's representative wherever you are, wherever that door opens. John Wesley put it this way. He says, employ whatever God has entrusted with you in doing good, all possible good in every kind and degree. So many times we want to sit back and we just say, you know, yeah, I, I get that I'm, in my mind. I, I understand what you're talking about, but, you know, circumstances just aren't ideal. Or we just say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just praying, I'm praying, you know, for God to use me, but, yeah, ooh, that just really doesn't fit my time frame. Or, you know, or we say, yeah, 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 I hear you. You know, I know God giving me gifts, He wants me to use them, but I'm just really not comfortable with that kind of service. Truth is, sometimes we don't want to be deployed in God's army unless we're 
the captain and in charge. And so many times we neglect. We come up with excuses and we neglect. But listen, the gifts that God has given you is more about him receiving glory and other people experiencing his goodness. And it's less about what and when and how you would prefer to use those gifts. If you only use the gifts that God has given you whenever it pleases you, then your gift will not be a gift to someone else. It'll be a gift to yourself because you'll just find yourself doing that when it's convenient for you to make yourself feel good. But when God gives us opportunities, he pushes us. When God gives us opportunities, he challenges us and stretches us. And most of the time, it's not on our timetable and it does not run parallel with our comfort level. Most of the time, in fact, it is uncomfortable. And it is inconvenient. And it's in those moments when we really have to lean in and learn to trust him. I love that phrase, where God guides, God provides. I know it can get out of hand sometimes, but I've seen it happen over and over. I've seen it happen over and over. I just witnessed it in Egypt not too long ago. I was sitting there, I was having dinner one night uh, with Hannah, Hannah's home, the safe house that we uh, helped build and put together and we're sitting there and Yusuf is there and others are there and we're having dinner and Hannah through Yusuf begins to tell about the project that they started the week before and the project is they have 20 women 19 and older who they have been helping who've come through many more 18 and younger but they have 20 women 19 and older and the week before they started with five, the five oldest women, and they found a company that would come in and teach them a trade over a course of a number of weeks, and then at the end of that, they get a certificate, and then they can get a job. They can actually make money for themselves and work toward living a sustainable life. They were very excited about this project. I said, well, why, why, why are not all 20 doing it? Why why'd you start with five? And they said, well, we started with five last week because we don't know how we're going to pay for it. We don't even know how we're going to pay for the five. I said, well, how much does it cost to take all 20 women through the program so they can get a certificate so that they can get a job and make money for themselves? They did the calculations from Egyptian pounds to U.S. dollars, and they said $3,000. I said, really? They said, yeah, $3,000. I said, how much is that? They said, $3,000. Ask them four times. I want to be very clear. And they would talk in Arabic, and they'd come back, and they'd go, $3,000. And I was like, okay, okay. I said, Yusuf, tell Hannah that God has already provided for all 20 women. And he looked at me confused. I said, just go ahead and tell her, tell her. He told her. She looked confused. And that's when, out of my back pocket, I pulled out a white envelope. I said, you're not going to believe this, but two men gave me some money before I came over here, and they told me, you'll know what to give this to, and there's $3,000 in this envelope. Yeah. And amazing. Amazing. You see, when we steward what it is that God has given us, sometimes we don't know the, the end of it. They, just two people said, hey, feel led to give you this, put the two together, $3,000, and now 20 women's lives are changed forever because two people were obedient to that. And, and a lot, you know, sometimes we say, oh, you know, Chris, the church and this, and the church talks about money and that and that kind of stuff. Listen, this is just, this is just God on the move. 
And some people aren't going to like this. Some people aren't going to believe those kind of stories, and that's okay. And Jesus tells us in the parable in verse 14 that there's always going to be a delegation out there who don't want him to reign over them. There's always going to be that, but his promise is he will return. He's establishing his kingdom. He will return. Jesus has come, and he will return. And in the meantime, our job is to steward all the good things, spiritual and material, that he has brought into our life. That is our job, because one day he will return, and we will go stand before him, and we will give an account. And I believe that accounting is going to be an amazing celebration, just as it is in this parable, of all the ways in which we steward what God has given us under his guidance, under his direction, and all of heaven is going to celebrate in God's wondrous works. But in the meantime, until he returns, we have a decision to make. I love that quote that says, we make our choices, then our choices turn around and make us. We have a choice. And the choice is, am I going to steward well all the gifts, all the blessings that God has brought into my life? Am I really going to do that? That's my choice and that is your choice. And as you're making that choice today, I want to encourage you. If you understand this God that I'm talking about, if you understand that this God who gives us gifts, he gives us talent, he gives us many things, and then we are deployed to use that for his glory and other people's good, if if you understand that, please, I plead with you, make the choice to let God use you in beautiful and miraculous ways through these simple acts of obedience that we engage in as the church. Let him use you. Be one of those who lifts your hand and says, here am I. Here I am. And Lord, I surrender. It's me. I'm here, Lord. Lord, I lift my hand to be one of those, to be counted among those who surrender to you. Your will, not mine. Andrew Murray said this. He says, what God says to us is, I, the vine, have taken you to be my branches. I have given myself utterly to you. Children, give yourselves utterly to me. I have surrendered myself as God absolutely to you. I became a man and died for you that I might be entirely yours. So come, come and surrender yourselves entirely to be mine. What Jesus is telling us here is that we, as God's family, have a family business. And the question is, will we raise our hands and surrender ourselves to the one who surrendered himself on our behalf? And will we choose to live our lives being about the Father's business? One day he will come. And he's going to look at you and he's going to to say, I saw you. I saw that day when you raised your hand. You surrendered. And you helped change that person's life. And I saw you on that cold day when you raised your hand again and you surrendered. 
and you help that other person accomplish that other thing. And I, then I saw you on that day. It was hot that day. But boy, you raised your hand again. You said, here I am, Lord. And you surrendered again. And you gave something that, again, changed someone's life. And I saw you that day. That, that is going to be the conversation. And what a beautiful conversation it's going to be. It'll be beautiful if we'll truly do that. If today and tomorrow and the next day and the week after, if we'll live our lives as those people, raise our hand and surrender. That he may receive glory and people may experience his goodness through us. Amen? So, Father, would you help us do that? Would you help us in this moment and in those other opportunities that you give us, raise our hand, surrender, that we may be deployed once again to be a conduit of your glory and your goodness. Here we are, Lord, hands raised once again, surrendered, saying, send me. Let it be so. In Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. amen.